Hello, my name is Katie, and this is the Truth for Your Twenties podcast. Today, I have with me Meredith Boggs. She is the author of the new book, A Journey Home, which is a biblical guide to using the Enneagram to deepen your faith and relationships. If you know anything about me, I love the Enneagram. I think it's such a beautiful tool just to help understand ourselves and how we relate to the world, our God-given talents, our relationships, all the things, and that's kind of your jam. So welcome to the podcast, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yes. And I love your social media as well. So cute. You. I love how you um, so act like little things that too would love to hear or not love to hear or, freeze or whatever. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's so good. So, so tell us a little bit about you um, in a nutshell, a little bit of your background and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I am an author, um, a writer. I have a podcast as well, which taking a little hiatus from. I had a kid, was writing a book. So that went on the back burner. Um, but yeah, my book, The Journey Home, is my first and it'll release in January. Um, I live in Nashville with my husband. Um, we've been married for almost 10 years. We're high school sweethearts and I have a little boy named Jack and he is a wild and rambunctious little toddler. So he keeps me very busy. And then I also tell people too, I don't share this as much on social media, but actually my day job has been for 10 years, um, I've worked as a nurse and I currently work for... Um, a critical care transport program here in Nashville, um, and also as a forensic nurse examiner. So people are like, oh, cool. Is it like CSI? And I'm like, I mean, kind of, but not really. It's not that cool. Um, we do the evidence collection and all that, but it's not, it's not, not as cool as TV. But I love, I love my job as a nurse and people have always kind of been like, when are you going to quit and write full time? And I'm like, you know, Writing full-time is wonderful, but you also don't sit down and write for eight hours a day. And people right. that are like writers, they have other streams of income. And, you know, I could do that, but I like taking care of sick patients. I don't want to write like email copy or marketing copy. So I yeah. just, I, um, I love that work and I love writing and I just kind of found a way to do them both. So that's a little yeah, bit Yeah, no, I, like. I think that's great. Well, share your passions in the book and then you know, yeah. also, and we're, we're all multifaceted with multi-passions as well, I'm sure. So yes. I'm interested to hear so what the, number you are. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. So yeah, so I'm a type eight. Um, and the book, so The Journey Home, a little bit about what, what inspired it. I actually came to know the Enneagram when I was in high school. I was in counseling at the time for an eating disorder, and that was part of the framework that this practice used. Um, and it was really fascinating and really eye-opening. Um, as a high schooler, you're kind of like stepping into that world of self-discovery anyways. And, um, and it was, it was like, oh my goodness, I felt like I had language for parts of myself that I just didn't even know. Um, and I will say this caveat here, when I originally took an Enneagram test, I tested as a one, uh, which is not surprising looking back at the time because in counseling for an eating disorder. So all of my behaviors on display were like very in line with one, but that's also why I encourage people read about the Enneagram, talk about it with people, really dive into it because tests are so subjective and they can easily be wrong. So just because you type as something doesn't necessarily mean that that's your type. Um, cause your motivations and your core desires and fears might align with a different type. So that's always my little like thing that I tell people about tests. Um, but they're, yeah. they are really helpful. So I'm all, you know, people are like, I just need somewhere to jump off with. I need to take a test. I'm like, okay, cool. Do it. But also know that it might not be totally accurate. Yeah. So that was kind of my introduction to the Enneagram. And then fast forward 10 years into my mid twenties, um, I was in a season of really intense burnout 
feeling my, my faith was pretty frayed. Um, I was in therapy again at that time. Um, and the Enneagram is a tool that, that was kind of around the time, like 2015, 16, when the Enneagram really reemerged. And it was really, again, a powerful catalyst to my personal growth. And at that time, I really started wondering how I could integrate it into my spiritual walk. Um, I had been, I'd grown up in the church, love Jesus, but you know, it's like life happens. And my husband and I had spent the previous year living abroad, working for a nonprofit in China that provided medical and surgical care for orphans. So again, like just like really intense work, a lot of burnout from long hours and just feeling like, feeling like in that time, I really had really some of the most like intensely personal and just true encounters with God of like wrestling about things that I was seeing and, and really, you know, really a deeply connected relationship, but then burnout, depression, all of that kind of just, it just frayed things. And I was starting to feel pretty stagnant, spiritually distant and estranged. And yeah. And so the Enneagram at that time, when it, it kind of reemerged, it was like, how can I utilize this on my spiritual growth path? And so that's a lot of where this book was born from. Hey friends, if you enjoy this podcast, first of all, I so appreciate you, but you support what we're doing over here by shopping our online store. So you can find all kinds of fun swag at katiebulmer.life. I have t-shirts, notebooks, and the popular I don't date dirt bags tote. Yes, you know you need one. They make great gifts. So you can find all the information at katiebulmer.life and our podcast friends save $3 by using promo code social. So use promo code social at katiebulmer.life. You can save $3 on anything in the shop and I hope you have some fun over there. So I want, if you could maybe just kind of unpack the Enneagram. I know there's listeners who maybe haven't heard of it or like, oh yeah, maybe I have heard of that, but I don't really know what my number is. Uh, Funny, my husband and I just did a um, online course, I guess it is kind of deep diving of your Enneagram more. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. What he focused on is a negative each of each number. And I know people are like, Oh, I don't want to hear about that. But the reason he did that is because I know I have found when I found my number, it's almost like you're reading your diary or something. It's like, Mm -hmm. how, how did you know that that's like my core desire or whatever? And, um, maybe it might help people. Oh, dang it. Like I'm not proud of it, but, and again, every number has good and bad as I'm sure, you know, and so like, but it helps. Oh crap. That is me, even though I'm not proud of it, but then you help understand the good and the bad of you and how to use those strengths and weaknesses. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Yes. I hear so many people say that, that it was like the negative parts of themselves or like their sin tendency or whatever, um, their vices or fixations that it was like when they learned about that, they were like, Oh no, that's my type. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I totally get that people are like, Oh, we don't want to focus on the negatives. Um, but I do think that that's part of self understanding and self discovery. It's like knowing those right. parts of yourself, um, you really can begin to recognize pitfalls and, um, and you see your strengths, but I hear that so much that people are like, yeah, it wasn't until I heard about this that I knew that it was my type. Um, yeah. You're like, do other people know about that? <laughs> yeah. And you kind of feel like someone read your playbook. You're like, wait, yes. nobody can know this about me. And it's like, well, this is how the world works. This is how people yes. are. Um, but, but we all have that. We all have just different yes. or different parts of it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, maybe just kind of unpack those numbers and then, um, yeah. If it makes sense, like uh, like a little avatar or something like a, a famous yeah. person or yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to think of those. Um, okay. So a little bit of background of the Enneagram for those of y'all who may not be as familiar with it. It is a personality typing system similar to the Myers-Briggs disc strengths finders. Um, but the thing that really distinguishes the Enneagram is that 
it focuses on motivation. So each type has a core motivation, a core fear, a core desire, and those really are what make up your type. Because obviously our behaviors can change based on what situation we're in. We can operate in healthy spaces and unhealthy spaces. And so I think the Enneagram is just more holistic in nature, factoring in things like your experiences and emotions and those core beliefs rather than just being like, oh, I'm introverted or extroverted. So that really is kind of what distinguishes the Enneagram And then, yeah, I'll run through each type. So type one is known as the reformer or the perfectionist. They are people of high ideals, high morals. Um, They ethics are like the guiding force of these people. Um, They're highly responsible, virtuous, like very duty driven. Um, They're the people that are going to show up and they are going to do what they say they're going to do. Integrity is their default operating mode. They are always self-reflecting, trying to see how they can better themselves and better the world. And the one thing that can sometimes be hard if you're in relationship with a one, whether it's a friend or a spouse, um, ones can come across as overly critical. And it has re- it has really transformed my relationships with ones by knowing that whatever like small bit of criticism I feel from them, it's tenfold what they give to themselves. Mm-hmm. They have a pretty relentless inner critic that is always critiquing and telling them how they could have done better, what they can do better next time. And so I think that helps in terms of having compassion for one sometimes, especially if it's in the workplace, it can kind of tend to rub you the wrong way, but understanding the, yeah, just understanding the, the lens that they see the world, it's right and wrong, good and bad. Um, and that they, that criticism is pretty, pretty intense on themselves first and foremost helps with compassion. So that's the type one. Type two is known as the helper. They are, twos are just, they're all amazing. I feel like every time I go through this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best type. Um, But twos are just deeply loving, caring people. They are profoundly compassionate. They're warm. They're approachable, accepting. They have a really nurturing energy and presence to them. They really, their superpower is that they can really easily perceive the needs of others. Um, They see something that needs to happen and they don't even have to be asked. Um, They really, when they're living in a healthy space, they are just servants. Um, They have such a generous heart for other people and that's where their love flows from. So they're just... They're wonderful. I was talking about. Give us the negative though, so we can we can. Yes. Oh yeah. I need to. Yes. I need to balance. I need to balance them all out. Um. So twos, we might touch on this a little bit. Their sin tendency is pride, which seems really. um, People are like, no, that doesn't fit. But it comes from this place in twos that yeah, they do really see and perceive the needs of others. But a lot of times twos believe that they are the person to meet that need. That they're. It's not like a savior complex. It, It it could be if it was you know, if it was really careening off the side of a mountain in an unhealthy place, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they can, it can kind of be this place of pride of like, oh, I'm the one to meet this or also very much like, I don't need other people. I can do this myself. That can be a pitfall for the two to watch out for. Also, I'm curious to know, what is your type, Katie? Three. I'm about to get to it next. (laughs) I I wondered, I wondered if that's what it was. I just had this sense. Um, (laughs) Three is the performer or achiever. So feel free to interject anything about the type three. Um, They are driven and ambitious. They've got high energy that others find really attractive. It's infectious. They are goal-directed, success-oriented. And it's not just for themselves, but it really is for other people. They are huge champions for other people. Um, 
if you are not an ideas person or you don't know the next step, call up a three and they will help you figure it out. And it'll probably be successful, whatever they suggest. But they're really champions for other people supporting their dreams or visions. The downside of a threes is that a lot of times they find their identity in what they do rather than who they are. And so they can slip into this role of performing and kind of shape-shifting in order to to be who it is that they think that they need to be in a certain situation or in order to find success. And I think that threes, I think that threes in America probably have it harder than any other type because we just really esteem that in our culture. And um, I think in the road back to you, the authors, um, Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile say it the best, that it says something to the effect of um, threes living in America is like an alcoholic living above a saloon, that it's like Uh the one thing, it's like we praise them for the very thing that's also their downfall. Um, we esteem them for these roles, for their success, for their achievement. But then it's like, we just like fuel this fire of their identity being found there. Anything that you have to add? (laughs) No, that's good. I think for sure. Um, when my husband and I did that little course I was telling you about, he talked Uh about the the chameleon kind of becoming who, and, and, and that's good and bad. Like I really can, like I'll go into a room and I, I can just read like, Yes. I can, I can be quiet or loud or friendly. Like I can be who you need me to be, which is dangerous too, because, well, who am I really? And that was especially dangerous. I know when I was dating, like I will be whoever it is, the guy needed you to be. And like, oh goodness, talk about toxic, you know, like just becoming. And then, and it's also like, he's thinking he's dating one person, but I'm really just putting on this show, you know? And it's like, yeah. you don't even, and it's not a conscious thought. It's just like, oh, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be whoever you need me to be. Like, yes, that I'm yeah. trying on the spot. Um, yeah. yeah, which is not good. Yeah. But that's so helpful when you, that, I mean, that's part of the gift of the Enneagram that it's like when you can recognize that about yourself, yeah. you can either arrest that in its path or you can go back later and reflect on it and be like, wait a minute, who am I really? And am I, right. you know, coming across as who I am authentically? Yeah. So. It makes you good and like friendly or whatever, but like yes. say threes can sell ice to an Eskimo, like, yeah. I mean, cool, <laughs> I guess, but <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's funny. Um, The type four is known as the individualist or the romantic. They are original, introspective. They really embody authenticity. One thing that's really unique about the fours is that they are the only type that can just truly bear witness to pain or suffering and they don't feel the need to fix it. They don't need to run from it. They don't have to medicate it. They can just be present to it and empathize with it, um, which is a really rare and beautiful ability. Fours are, they're great with emotions, which we need more of that. Cause again, in America, we're not, we're not real good with our feelings and uh, definitely like the harder shame, fear, sadness, but fours, they're there for it. One thing that fours do struggle with is envy. And it's kind of a, there's kind of a strange duality at play with fours because they do long to have this uniqueness about them that they're unlike anyone else. But then that's also kind of the source of their envy that it's like they look around and see other people and wish for what they have, or they desire certain aspects of their life. And so contentment is a huge part of the growth path for fours is content in who they are and who they're created to be in, in all the uniqueness and the individuality that sometimes can feel it sometimes can feel separating and isolating from people. Um, but then again, that's that's really the pathway of empathy and connection, which is, I think, kind of the underpinning of the Enneagram is um, this, this empathy and this compassion that we 
can relate to people that are not our types and that struggle with different things, have different strengths. So that's a little bit. I always think of Forge My Brothers of Four is like your poets and your songwriters. Yes. And your yeah. Yeah. A lot of fours are deeply creative and you'll find yeah. whatever they're doing, it's something in the creative world. Um, or and also like um, maybe more emotional, but I'll, like they remember the birthdays and they, you know, like. Yes. The, yeah. That kind of sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think of your, um, uh, what do you call it? Avatar of like, maybe this is dramatic, but fours are dramatic. Um, yes. Like Kurt Cobain or Vincent Van Gogh, like just, yes. here's my heart. Here's yes. my ear. Here, like banging <laughs> on the guitar. Like it's all the feels. <laughs> yes. Yes. Those are two perfect examples of fours. Yes. So much feeling, so much energy, so much emotion. Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, okay. The type five, they are known as the investigator or the thinker. They are constantly taking in information. They are, um, they're observing the world. They bring really incredible perspective and neutrality to situations. They are, they're calm. They're even keel. They really have an ability to maintain this objectivity that the rest of us don't, that don't have, that we could all learn from them. Uh, they are really inquisitive. They're always asking questions, seeking more knowledge and understanding. Uh, the downside for fives is a lot of times they can kind of treat life as a spectator sport. And instead of engaging in relationships or the activity, they are fine to kind of sit on the sidelines and observe. And so a lot of their personal growth and spiritual growth is engaging. It's sharing their heart. It's sharing their feelings, which are, it's harder for five to access those feelings because they really like to stay in this cerebral space of their thoughts um, and emotions can feel kind of like treacherous territory for them. But that's, yeah, that's kind of the gist of fives there. Would you say um, that's like a scientist or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. A lot of times fives have jobs. Fives are not antisocial. People are like, oh yeah, fives are so antisocial. They're really not. They just, fives have a limited reserve of energy. And when it's gone, it's gone. They're not the kind of people that can rally. Um, they will show up for their commitments and their obligations, but when it's over, it's it's time to be done. Somebody explained it like a bucket and it's like they allot their energy to make it through their day. And when the bucket's empty, it's empty until the next day, which not all types are like that, but that's just helpful to know if you're in a relationship with fives that pushing them or trying to get them to rally is just not, it's just not going to happen. They can't do it. Mm. Type six, they are known as the loyalist. They are probably the most altruistic of all the types because they are really seeking the greatest good for everyone. They are, there's some Enneagram theories out there that say that sixes make up half the world. I've heard that. Which again, there's common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, like there's no way to really know that, but yeah. it does make sense if you think about it, because they are devoted, dependable. They are, they're also very duty driven. Um, and so a lot of people say like, that's why communities function. That's why schools and churches and large corporations become what they are because you have the sixes that show up, they're committed, they're loyal and sixes. They really will stick it out when it gets tough. They, um, they're not quick to jump ship. They will eventually if they need to, and that's the right thing to do, but they don't jump ship when things get hard. They have they have a real sense of obligation um, in a good sense. They are very protective and loyal of their people. One big thing that fear struggle with is they struggle with fear, um, which can turn into worry and just kind of like this fixation. It, and like it just kind of turns into this ruminating place that rather than 
using their, their skills of planning. And I mean, sixes are the ones that they've got plan A, B, C, D, E, F. They've got all the backup plans. And so sixes are like who you want to be with if you're ever in a disaster situation, because they've already thought about it and they know what they're going to do. They've got the plan. They've got all the supplies, the resources, Um, but they're so self-doubting that they fear that if they ever get into one of those situations that they wouldn't know what to do and they wouldn't be able to handle it. And so a lot of sixes growth is trust and it's courage and it's stepping into um, this place of not, of understanding that fear is going to be a, fear is going to be on the journey, but it doesn't get to be in the driver's seat. Um, And they, and they're the ones that are driving, driving the car. So sixes are. My husband's a six. And I just like, yeah, when the pandemic hit, I, I just, I don't know, you know, never been through that before, obviously. And I just kind of assumed wrongly that he would be more like worried and like, Oh, all the masks. And he was like the one going to Costco and the one, and because, and I was talking to my friend about it. She's like, yeah, cause sixes have prepared for a global pandemic since they were yes. two, you know, like they we're made for this. Like we're good. Yeah. Sixes were prepared. They were like, we know what we're going to do. We've got our masks stocked pile. Yep. We've got our hand we sanitizer. We're good plan. to go. <laughs> yes. That's so funny. And so interesting too. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's also like, water and toilet paper. He's like, we good. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's so great. Sevens, they are the adventurers or the enthusiasts. They have a really playful presence and optimistic outlook on life. They are spontaneous. They are charming, whimsical, just very delightful to be around. They look at the world just with like wide-eyed enthusiasm and possibilities. Anything is possible. There's no mountain too high. Um, sevens are just kind of they're like, they're just explorers at heart. They are experienced seekers. They want to taste, touch, smell, do all the things. They really value their freedom. They do not want to be tied down. They do not want to be restrained. They want to keep their options open. Lots of opportunities. But kind of the negative side to sevens is that they, and this all stems from a fear of being trapped in pain. It's not like they're just these non-committal people. Um, they just fear being trapped in pain. Um, not so much physical pain, but more emotional pain. And so that's kind of why they like jump from thing to thing and keep their options open so that they can mitigate any kind of pain that they may feel. Um, but for sevens, their growth and their beauty really emerges. Cause, I mean, cause at some point or another, like life's going to confront you with some really painful circumstances. And when sevens are able to be present to that pain, instead of medicating it, instead of running from it, it really grounds them in a way that this beautiful wisdom emerges. Um, and sevens realize it's like, I'm not going to die from this pain. It's going to, it's going to strengthen me. It's going to refine me. And what emerges for them is really beautiful. And I have, I have a really good friend in my life. It's a seven. I've known her. We're friends all through our twenties. And now in our thirties, she's so different. She's never lost her like whimsical fun. Um, like she's still fun, Kelsey, but she brings a much more, just groundedness to life and wisdom. Um, sobriety is one of the words that's used in Enneagram language to describe the essence of a seven. And it's not necessarily sobriety from alcohol or drugs, but it, it's just a metered way of living. And it's very thoughtful and intentional, um, which is really beautiful to see that emerge in sevens. And because you know that it's come from some really hard personal work when they've sat with their pain and confronted it. So that's that's sevens. The life of the party who buy the plane tickets and ask questions later, right? <laughs> Say what now? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, they totally are. And you know, and that, you know, I have heard seven say that they can fall into the place of feeling like 
they're just there for the party tricks. And they really, they step into that role and they become the fun person. And it is fun, but then it's also exhausting. And they're realizing right. like, oh, I don't have a lot of real connection with these people. Um, so that right. is kind of a pitfall for sevens to keep keep an eye out for. Type eight, they are the challengers. Uh, they're very um, independent, protective, passionate people. They are really driven by justice, um, huge supporters of the underdog. They have a really, they bring with them a really intense energy to life. Um, they have the tendency, their their sin tendency is lust, and it's not lust in a sexual sense necessarily, but it's just this general like too muchness that they approach life with. There is an Anne Lamott quote in her book Bird by Bird I love her. that love her. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> um, she's not even talking about the Enneagram, but she was talking about how you. She says something to the effect of you can point with, you don't always have to chop with the sword of truth. You can point with it. Um, Mm, and eights are really bad about chopping with the sword of truth, especially, um, if you get into kind of the Christian space and it can be justified because it's like, well, no, this is the truth. And it's like, well, but that's actually not a kind way to say it. Um, and I, and I say that as like the chief offender that a lot of times it's like, oh, what I just said to my husband was true. And it was also really unkind how I said it. So that is something for eights to just, eights would do well to realize that they can live life with a dimmer. Like it doesn't always have to be on or off. Um, it doesn't have to be so bright. They don't have to be chopping with their sort of truth. They can they can point with it. They can speak softly and still be heard. Um, and truth can still be there. But yeah, so that's that's kind of the kind of the type eight in a nutshell. Uh, and then the last one, we have to, I'm going to have to, um, link bird by bird on here just because you brought it up. And like, if you're ever thinking about writing a book or just want a really good read, Anne Lamont is like a writer's writer. And this is a book for dreaming to write a book. And it's also hilarious. And she's so funny. Like, and she's one of those that she's a novelist. She writes nonfiction. She wrote bird by bird. She's so funny. She talks, there's another quote in Bird by Bird, and I think it's something similar in another book, but she talks about like, if, um, you know, sometimes her thoughts would make Jesus want to drink gin from a cat dish. And I just think that is so funny. Like, she's just such a good writer. Um, okay. I have yes. to bring up this quote. Cause I literally just told this the other day, I was walking with my husband. Um, <laughs> okay. So I have a friend that was telling a story about a bad ex-boyfriend and it's like, uh-huh. how do you tell that story about like, and not wanting them to come forward and like, you know, and she was addressing yes. it because she teaches, she teaches writers how to address like people that did you wrong, but also, yes. you know, like, okay. So the, do you remember this part? She yes. goes, <laughs> she goes, just write in that they had a really, really small uh, manly area. <laughs> Yeah, they'll never come forward. They'll never come forward. No, it's hilarious. Yeah, she was talking about libel because she's, you know, she talks about like write about your life experiences, write about your childhood, and people are like, "Well, my childhood was horrible. My mom was like abusive," and she's like, "Write about it anyways," and like it never has to see the light of day. But then, yes, that part is so funny. It's like write about them in a way that they'll never come forward. Yeah, she's she's so funny and brilliant. Anyways, sorry, Uh, that's that was the eight. That's what you are. Yes. I'm a type eight. And then type nine, the last one, they are the peacemakers or the mediators. They are really, they're such wonderful friends. They're easygoing. They provide a reassuring, calming presence. They're really sources of stability and consistency. You just, you know what you're going to get from a nine. 
they are, um, some people say, so on the Enneagram diagram, nine sit at the top. And some of the thought there is that they are true empaths. They can really see and understand everyone's perspective. Um, but a lot of times what happens is that in seeing and understanding everyone else's perspective and needs and desires, they lose themselves in that and they can lose their voice and really they just lose touch with themselves a lot of times. And and what it translates into in a spiritual sense is them falling asleep. And yes, nines are conflict avoidant, but a lot of times what it is for nines is that it's just, they they already live with a, a, a lot of internal conflict, a lot of internal turmoil and struggle. And so the idea of that conflict being externalized and having to confront that with someone is just like, that'll do them in. They've got no energy for it. Um, and so they kind of become these people that go along to get along in life, which on the outside makes them really easygoing and great to be around because they're not going to throw a fit about anything. They're not going to object to, you know, the plans, but when you're in a friendship or a marriage or a family relationship with them, um, it's, it can be hard because they tend to merge and they, they don't, they don't exactly have their own voice and know what they want. And so that's a lot of the spiritual growth journey for the nines is waking up to themselves and realizing that they have their own thoughts and dreams and opinions and desires and really stepping into those even though they will definitely create internal conflict for them, but even at the expense of creating external conflict, that it's important enough um, for them to to step into that. So yeah, that's the kind of the overview of all the nine types. Nice. And then point out the wings that you're the wings with the neighbor, your neighbor number. Yeah. Most Enneagram theory says your wing types are your neighboring types. Some people say your wing can be anything. I don't really, that doesn't make sense in it just doesn't make sense. And I see why people say that, but it's also like, no, I don't think so. So it's, it's the type that sits on either side of you. So as a type eight, my wings can either be seven or nine. And there also is, and some people just say like, I don't have a wing and that's fine. You don't have to have a wing. Not everyone does. And then um, I think Suzanne Stabile is the one that a lot of her Enneagram theory is that you kind of function with one wing predominantly for the first half of your life. And then usually around midlife or if you've gone through like something really significant, that other wing will start to emerge. So yeah. Do you have a wing as a type three? A wing two. Yeah. You do. Okay. To the helper. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Well, thank you for unpacking all that. So that's, you know, maybe someone like, oh, okay. You know, that seven or that two or whatever kind of resonates. And then the wing, I think the wing is important just to note that like, oh, you know, I think I'm a three with a two tendency. Well, you can be, you can wing one way or the other. So yeah. It's helpful too, I think, in determining your core type because I had a really prominent seven wing for the first, like probably until I hit my 30s. And for a while I was like, am I a seven? Because a lot of a lot of my behaviors really lined up with that. Um, but then going back to that core motivation, that core fear, core desire, it was like, no, I don't really have those same fears and same desires as seven, but a lot of just kind of the way that I show up in the world can be very seven like. So that's another thing to kind of help you differentiate to what your core type is. Nice. Okay. So now kind of knowing like what your number is, or at least kind of getting that idea as you've written the book and done some research on our spiritual growth and how we show up in the world and how we serve. I don't know. Tell me more about how all that can work together. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, um, again, in my book, we, I definitely took more of a spiritual growth approach. Um, and the sin tendencies, those are, it's just, it's just certain ways that your type gets lost, wanders. And then the virtues are ways that you embody 
the Holy Spirit, the ways that you um, that you exhibit that fruit of the Spirit. There are spiritual practices that go along with each different type. And the Enneagram, the more you dive into it, it's broken down into what um, is called triads. So the 891 triad, that's one. Their spiritual practice is stillness. Two, threes, and fours, their spiritual practice is solitude. And the five, six, and seven, theirs is silence. And all of these things, and this is the beauty of the Enneagram is because it's dynamic and, you know, because that's how we are as humans. Like we're not, we're not stagnant. We change. Um, there's so much that you can learn from other types and so, so much that, that applies even to yours. And so these, um, these practices, stillness, silence, and solitude are kind of like, they're kind of like the core, um, they're, they're kind of the core practices that it's like, okay, if you really want to grow in your type, that's the practice for you. For the twos, threes, and fours, the solitude is really getting alone with themselves and God. They are all relational types. So twos see themselves in context of relationship with other people. Threes are very much, how am I, you know, am I achieving? Am I performing? Am I doing enough? Um, fours are always wanting that. They're always desiring that reassurance that they are unique, but that they are loved and they are accepted for who they are. Fours kind of struggle with this fear that there's something fundamentally flawed in them. And so they're, they're looking for that reassurance that it's like that you're lovable and that you're, you're wanted. And so for them, that spiritual practice of solitude gets them out of, it, it gets them out of that, that hamster wheel of relationship with other people and gets them alone with themselves and God to get re-centered and to know where their worth is found. And, um, yeah, so that's solitude stillness for the five, six and sevens. Those that's those, the head center type sixes get kind of stuck on that hamster wheel of anxiety and worry, panic, fear sevens. They go to this place of like, I'm going to plan the next big adventure and kind of cannot, they can slip out of being present to their life right now. Again, five spend a lot of time in the cerebral space thinking. And so that practice of silence, it's not just external silence in your environment, but it's that internal silence, that place that you come to when you turn down the volume on the anxiety, you turn down the planning, you turn down the thinking that can keep you out of a place of connection with yourself and God so that you can enter into that space of trust and reassurance that he is who he says that he is and he is going to do what he says he's going to do even when our circumstances might be a pandemic um, for a six, or it might be painful for a type seven. And then stillness for the eight, nine, and one, eights and ones, they have a pretty fast pace of moving through life. They're going, they're doing. Nines, a lot of times, maybe they don't have the same external energy, but what's going on, they're constantly overcoming some kind of internal conflict in their minds and in their hearts. And so that stillness for that type really, again, recenters them on God, that nothing that they do or don't do is going to, um, it's going to change the way that he loves them, the way that he sees them. And it really just brings them into a place of being rather than doing. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a deeper dive into spiritual practices and what it looks like for each type to growth. And those are also things that it's like, that's the journey of transformation. That will, that's something that you practice for the rest of your life. You don't arrive, um, but you keep practicing and, and you're transformed over, over a lifetime. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And I love how, you know, you use these tools to not only just understand yourself, but how it can deepen your spiritual practice, how it can 
make you in better relationship. And you mentioned that a few times. I think that that has been the biggest gift for me in understanding the Enneagram is, you know, my, my brother's a four and like, sometimes he gets on my nerves because he's all in his feels. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, but he's also so kind to always remember, you know, special events and, um, you know, little cards and little thoughtful things. And we all have strengths and weaknesses, no matter our numbers. And I think that just understanding, uh, like I said, Brian, I just did that thing and it, and it says, it, it was really designed for work. It was just this um, online thing he had, but mm-hmm. how to work with other numbers. And so I'm like writing down sixes information because he's a six and he's writing down yeah. three information on how, um, anyway, it was, it was very, it was very interesting. Yeah. And so like helpful. you said, when, when we have that understanding of other people, really what it breeds is compassion and yeah. it's so easy to get frustrated and look at people um, in ways that it's like, oh, they're so different than I am, but we're we're all so similar. And even right. if we haven't experienced the same thing, we that's that's the ability of compassion, and empathy, is to understand those those same emotions, those those same um, yeah, just feelings that go along with it. And that's really the gift of the Enneagram is in knowing yourself and knowing other people, you're able to to have that compassion. And what I also love about it is it just gives you language, you know, around all of these things and these feelings that you might not really have understood or really being able to just unpack and like, Oh, well this explains it. And it gives you language and understanding. I think that that's so important. Yeah, it really does. And I think that's so helpful in the context of our relationships too, of giving people that awareness and understanding. Um, I mean, as a type eight, I can come across really wrong, like the wrong way to people sometimes. And that is an area of growth for me, but also too, I think when I began to understand that there's a lot of other feelings under there. There's a lot of fear, there's shame, there's other stuff that lives beneath the surface. It did help me not to come, not to just externalize my anger anytime something happened, um, but to really access those other emotions. And that's the gift of it is that, you know, if you've got a type four, they're really comfortable with those, that fear, that shame, those harder emotions. They, you know, it's not, not like anyone loves it, but they just, they've got that muscle memory there that I don't have. And so that's part of the gift of it too. And this journey with other people is learning and growing in community with them. So do you find yourself typing people? I do. And I'm not even an Instagram coach. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. I used to do it a lot. And then I, I got to a place that I was like, I need to stop doing this. Um, this is not like, this is not good because I'm labeling people. Um, and so I really don't do it as much anymore. And, and all the time people are like, what type do you think that they are? And I'm like, I actually haven't even thought about it. Um, good but it, it definitely, and they say can... you're not supposed to type other people. So I try and just like, have you taken a test? Do you know? Yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're so pretty or sure. whatever, you know, <laughs> But it's much hey. harder to do it with family because you're you're close and you've grown up with these people or yeah. you've been you know married into the family for years and so um, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Do you like at what age? Because I try to do this for my kids. Do you know mm-hmm. like when you can fully understand your number or, or is there a, a timeline or, or whatever? You know, I am definitely not the expert when it comes to that. Um, Elizabeth Bennett is about to release a book. I think it's called Enneagram Life. It comes out in November. She's written um, a series of devotionals for each different type. And this one walks through like all the seasons of life. Um, so childhood, adolescence, adulthood. And and so I don't know. Um, I don't know what the like right Enneagram answer is. I do know. I, I do think that we are just born with an innate wiring of our type. But I'm also really quick to tell people that 
like when it comes to trauma in your life, you cannot look at that through the framework of the Enneagram. Um, and you need to get like, see, see a therapist for that, um, and work through that because that's, that's real. And like trauma rewires your brain and your body. Um, and so you can't just like slap the filter of an Enneagram type over that. Um, but I do think, I mean, I even watch my son now and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's 18 months. And I like see things in him and I'm like, that's just how you are. Like you didn't even learn that. Um, I mean, of course they learn so much, but, um, I don't, I don't know the answer, but I do feel like it's, it's, you know, I would say early childhood, maybe like by the time they're six, seven, eight, um, I don't know. I, but then, but then it is also like their own journey of self-discovery and who they become and what type they identify as. Um, but I do think the trauma piece is huge yeah. that it's like, if you've experienced that or, you know, if a child goes through something like that, that's obviously really formative and shaping um, and not necessarily like it's separate from the Enneagram. Yeah, I was curious because I was like, I don't know that my, you know, middle school self knew that I was a three. Yeah. Or if I, you know, obviously didn't know the Enneagram existed at that time, but like, but anyway, I mean, maybe I would have, once you get into like, that's what I love about the the core desires, the core motivation, because Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily your performance or what you do or whatever. It's like that reading of your mail and like what truly drives you. So, Yeah. yeah. And I think you're right. Like a lot of us probably wouldn't have had that language as our middle school self, but you can probably look back over your life and see the patterns of, oh my gosh, as a kid, I used to, yeah. you know, this, or I really cared about that. And it kind of points to, points to what your type is. Yeah. I actually discovered on a podcast recording, <laughs> I probably like elementary middle school, I had this Fisher Price microphone and I had a radio <laughs> show, of course, uh, oh recorded on a cassette tape. If any of our young listeners know yes. what that is. <laughs> Oh, I love that. And I was like, maybe that was my baby podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The foreshadowing. That's funny. I know. Anyways, well, I am so thankful for you just unpacking this as it relates to our gifts um, spiritually and relationally and in relation with other people and having compassion for others. There's so much that this tool can help us unpack. So just thank you for sharing that. How can we get in contact with you and all the things you offer and the book and all that good stuff? Yes, I am. I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram at Meredith W. Boggs. Um, I, my website is meredithwboggs.com. And if you add a slash links to that, it will take you to links to everything to uh, my book, my podcast. Um, There's a couple free Enneagram resources there that you can grab. And yeah, there's also links to my other socials. I recently got on TikTok. Um, I'm very much feeling like a millennial on there. So um, yeah, (laughs) that's been a new fun venture. But yeah, all the links to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok are on that website. TikTok's fun. I'm older than you and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. I know. And and that is so comforting to me. I I mean, you're not like that much older, but when I see people that are definitely like, they're not, they're not Gen Z on there. It just gives me so much comfort. I'm like, okay, I can keep showing up here. I can keep doing this. So (laughs) girl, I follow this girl. She's like in her seventies and um, I do edit her. And it's one of my most popular videos. She said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but do not talk to that boy who only calls you at night. You are not a cockroach or something like that. (laughs) And I was like, yes, grandma, preach. Yes. <laughs> that's that's who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. That's funny. Anyways, if I have to ask you one last question before we let you yeah. go. If you could have coffee with your 20-year-old self, what would you say? 
Oh my gosh. I would just say be patient. Transformation takes time. Um, and that, you know, it's funny that is really connected with my Enneagram journey, but life is just, it's so nonlinear. It is painstakingly messy and hard at times, but you'll find community that'll walk with you through it and, um, and just be patient because transformation takes time. It makes me think about Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Um, and that completion's a long way away. Um, and it feels like it will never happen a lot of days, but just to be patient with yourself. That is such good advice. Well, we will put all this information in the show notes and I'm so thankful that you're here, Meredith. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, sharing is caring. I would love for you to simply take a screenshot from wherever you're listening and share it on social. You can tag me at Katie Bulmer Life or just text it to a friend. Say, hey, I enjoyed this episode and I think that you will too. The biggest compliment you can give is sharing a review on iTunes that really helps other young women to find this podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for spending some time with me in your earbuds and I hope that you gain some truths for your 20s.